0: informed and inflamed, where we seek to inform our minds with truth in order to inflame our hearts with love for God and neighbor. I'm Brad Owens, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for another episode. We are continuing to make our way through our Cracker Jack acronym to unfold God's big story given to us in the Bible. As it turns out, the story of the Bible is actually the story of the world, since history is His story. But in the past two episodes, we talked about the beginning of the story, creation, and what went wrong, rebellion. And today, we'll consider the covenant God made with Abraham. So Abraham is the A word in our Cracker Jack acrostic. In the covenant God makes with Abraham, we see God's dogged determination to undo the damage of Adam's sin. God makes some incredible promises to Abraham, and a summary of them is found in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, which says this, "'Now the Lord said to Abram, "'Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing.'" I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In these verses, God promises Abraham several things. He promises to bring him into a new land, he promises to make him into a great nation, which means he'll have numerous descendants that populate that nation. The Lord says he will be with Abraham to bless him and to curse his enemies. And lastly, God says that he is giving Abraham all these blessings for a purpose, so that he will be a blessing to others, and so that all the families of the earth would enjoy the blessing of fellowship with God. If you haven't learned by now, I like to try to make things memorable. So let's reword these divine promises into four P words. We can put it this way. God promises to bless Abraham with a place, that's the land promise, with a people, that's the great nation promise, and with His presence. And those three blessings of place, people, and God's presence are all given to Abraham and his family for a purpose. That's our fourth P word. To be such a powerful blessing to others that all families of the earth would experience God's goodness. So that's how we'll unpack the Abrahamic covenant in this episode, by looking at the promises of a place, a people, God's presence, all given for a glorious purpose. So let's think about place first. The land that God will show him is the land of Canaan, the land that Israel later inhabits in the Old Testament story. And of course, a lot happens between Abraham and when Israel moves in to take possession of the promised land in the book of Joshua, but the promise God gave Abraham in Genesis 12 is what the rest of God's big story rests upon. The land of Canaan was a very strategic land one that served as a crossroads between all the surrounding nations. People came in and out of the land of Canaan all the time as they traveled about. After Israel became the inhabitants of this land, the strategic location of it was to serve a redemptive purpose. Listen to what Moses says to Israel in Deuteronomy 4, verses 5 and 6. He says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. So as non-Israelite people came in and out of the promised land, the goal was that they would see something remarkable and attractive about their way of life. God's desire was that they would come to see something truly beautiful in Israel's life together as a people and be magnetically drawn to worship the one true God as a result. That was the purpose of this place, as Genesis 12 says, so that all families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And as we think more about Abraham, it's important to recognize the gravity of what God asked him to do. The very first word God says to Abraham in Genesis 12 is go. Even though God is promising him incredible blessings, there's still pain involved in leaving the old life behind. He was being asked to leave what was familiar and comfortable. He had to let go of things that would have been hard to leave behind. And this is a helpful picture of conversion. When we come to know the Lord, we are called to leave the old life of sin behind. This is hard when it's all we've ever known, and we've grown to enjoy doing things our own way. But when we come into relationship with Jesus, He asks us to take ourselves off the throne of our hearts and allow Him to take up residence in that place of supreme loyalty. And this shift in loyalty happens when we first trust in Christ, but it takes our entire lives to completely unfold and come to full realization. And we do well to continually wrestle with the question, What does obedience to God require that I leave behind? What things am I holding on to that I need to let go of and forsake for the sake of loving Jesus? Maybe for you, it's some secret sin you continue to indulge in and make excuses for. Maybe it's letting go of bitterness in a relationship and seeking out reconciliation. Maybe it's saying no to discontentment with your circumstances or inviting some accountability into your spending habits. Whatever it looks like in your life, Let me say that this is much easier said than done. It'd be amazing if we could just say goodbye to a sinful habit and never have to confront it again, but that's usually not what happens. Most of the time, that sinful tendency continues to rear its head again and again, coming at you over and over again until it wears you down. But Jesus said in John 15, "'Apart from me you can do nothing.'" That must be the foundation on which we build our pursuit of Christlikeness. Only with His help will we be able to abandon those things we need to leave behind. As we build on this foundation of utter dependence on the Lord, we will begin paying more attention to the ways He says we can experience His life-changing power. God tells us that His word and prayer and life in a local church, where we enjoy the blessings of Christian companionship, are all things that he uses to strengthen and support us through life. If we want to be obedient to God, we will give ourselves to these things, trusting that he will use them to further the purifying process he has begun in our hearts. Abraham learned to trust and obey God through that painful process as well. The second blessing God promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 is that he will make of him a great nation. So in other words, a great people will come from him. Abraham had this promise from God, and yet his wife Sarah was barren and childless. Years and years went by without any change, so Abraham and Sarah decided to take things into their own hands. Sarah gives her Egyptian servant Hagar to Abraham so that he might obtain an offspring through her instead. This arrangement was fueled by impatience and distrust, though. Rather than patiently trusting in God's trustworthy word, They took matters into their own hands in order to make God's promises come about more quickly. God, however, being the good and gracious God that He is, will not allow Abraham and Sarah to evade the important lesson on patience and trust that they need to learn, which is ultimately why God rejects Ishmael, who is Abraham's son from Hagar, as the one who would inherit the promise. Instead, God reaffirms His promise that Abraham will have a son by Sarah, graciously teaching them they need to trust Him even when things don't move along as quickly as they'd like them to. Boy, this is so relevant to us too, isn't it? We all have a difficult time with patience and trust. We all have things that we want, and many times the things we want are good things, whether it be children, a spouse, a better job that allows us to utilize our gifts and provide for our families, whatever it may be. We, of course, don't have a specific promise from God about any of those things like Abraham did, but we do have promises from God that speak into the things we long for. We aren't promised a spouse or children or a better job, but we are told that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, Romans 8, 28. So whether we get what we want or not, we can trust that God has our ultimate good in mind and that however He answers our prayers, it will be for our good. It will be to teach us to trust Him more wholeheartedly and to find fulfillment for our deepest longings in Him. Every joy in life is meant to lead us to the ultimate joy of knowing Him anyways. They are pointers to something greater, and fellowship with God is the only place that God-shaped hole in our hearts can be filled. Everything God does in our lives is intended to lead us to that glorious purpose in life, to know God and enjoy Him forever. So let's get back to Abraham now. This promise of a people, of a great nation also means that this people will be the vehicle through which God pours out His blessings on the world. The nation of Israel in the Old Testament was always meant to be a light to the nations, so that God's salvation may reach the ends of the earth. That's isaiah forty nine verse six. The story of Old Testament Israel was a dismal failure, though. There were certainly some high points, but the story of Abraham's people in the Old Testament, demonstrated just how deeply embedded rebellion was in the human heart. Something would have to be done to address this greatest of human problems. And as God's big story unfolds in the Old Testament, we learn that through the people of Abraham would come a Redeemer who would do everything necessary to deal with the unfathomable depths of darkness found within the human race. When that Redeemer came, he lived his life and laid down his life for the sake of rescuing us from our sins. He paid the price we ought to have paid for our rebellion. He died the death we deserve to die. And He lived the life we have failed to live, all so that we might be brought back into relationship with God. The doorway back into fellowship with God has been opened for all those who would be willing to step through it. All we must do to step back into God's presence is trust in the sacrifice of Jesus, trust that it dealt fully with our sin problem and paved the way for us to come back. All those who trust in Christ make up God's people. And in the Bible, faith in Christ is tied tightly together with a commitment to Christ's bride, the church. Love for God and love for His people go together in Scripture. In the age of COVID, this is so important to remember. COVID has changed the landscape of our society in so many ways. And one thing I'm concerned has done to God's people is it has contributed, although... There are lots of other factors to consider, many of which were there long before COVID, but it has contributed to a devaluing of the local church and of the Sunday worship gathering. And let me just say that I know some people have legitimate health concerns that have caused them to be on the more cautious end of the spectrum, and that's totally understandable. My point in bringing this up, though, is that worshiping virtually, even on a consistent basis, is very different from being committed and involved in life together. The reason the Bible puts such an emphasis on our life together as a people is because we need it so badly. It's for the good of our souls that God tells us in Hebrews 10, 25, not to neglect meeting together. Colin Hansen and Jonathan Lehman, in their book, Rediscover Church, say this, a Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. I think that is spot on. And it doesn't mean that you simply have a church that you tune into regularly or that you like checking out from time to time. Rather, it means being committed to and involved in the life of a local church, committed to gathering regularly, to giving faithfully, to serving sacrificially, and to growing alongside each other. We need each other as we navigate life. And the local church is designed by God to be a steady anchor for your soul amid the crazy storms of life. So for the sake of your own soul and your spiritual health, do not neglect the local church. Trust me, I know the church is a messy place, and that can be enormously frustrating and hurtful. But remember this, God makes us part of a people, warts and all, for a reason, and it's ultimately for His glory and for our good. And now number three, the third promise God gave to Abraham was His presence. He promised to be with him, both to bless him and to curse his enemies. He would go with Abraham on this big journey, and he would defend and protect him along the way. He would watch over him, taking care of him and his family. Really, there is no more comforting promise in all of Scripture than this, to hear God say, I will be with you. And that's what God told Moses centuries later, and it's essentially what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12. In Genesis 17, when God reaffirms his promise of a son through Sarah, he says, I will be God to you and to your offspring after you. The Lord promised to be with Abraham and his descendants after him. And another line that is repeated throughout scripture is, I will be your God and you shall be my people. This blessing is at the very heart of the covenant relationship God has established with his people throughout all of history. And what a comforting promise it is. To have God with us in the midst of all of life is a tremendous comfort and support. To know that God's goodness will always be with us has the power to steady and stabilize our hearts like nothing else. Psalm 23 verse 6 says, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That word follow is a, an aggressive word. It's often used in military contexts where two armies are lined up for battle. When one army begins retreating, the victorious army will follow after them as they continue taking them out. So what Psalm 23 verse 6 is saying is that God causes His goodness and mercy to follow us or to chase after us all the days of our lives. God's presence goes with us, hunting us down to bless us and do us good in the end. That truth has the power to be an anchor for us in troubling times just as it was for Abraham. And lastly, number four is purpose. We've already gotten into this somewhat, but the three blessings of place, people, and God's presence were all given to Abraham for a purpose. That purpose was to be a blessing to others, and that's our purpose even today. Of course, the greatest blessing anyone could ever receive is to enjoy a relationship with God. So that's why evangelism ranks so highly in the church's mission, Because of all that God has done to pave the way for sinners to come back to Himself, we go out to share this life-changing message, inviting all those who will hear us to come back into the joy and happiness of a relationship with God. As Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, He is the way. No one comes back to the Father except through Him. That's why we must focus our efforts on Christ when we're engaging with non-Christians. He is the only doorway back into fellowship with God. And our purpose is to call others to step through that door so that they might enjoy what they were always meant to enjoy, a relationship with their creator and king. What's also neat is to think about how these promises originally given to Abraham are picked up and expanded in the New Testament. For example, the promise of the land of Canaan is expanded in the New Testament to include the entire world. Matthew 5 verse 5 says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And the end of Revelation speaks of the new heavens and the new earth, which God's people will inherit and enjoy for all eternity. At the end of history, all those united to Christ by faith will be given physical resurrection bodies and will live in a glorious physical place, the new earth. If you have any interest in exploring more about how the New Testament picks up and enlarges the blessings God gave to Abraham, one great book to read is called Christ from Beginning to End, written by Trent Hunter and Stephen Wellham. But it is a great book about how God's big story unfolds throughout Scripture and throughout history. But before we finish, let's summarize this episode this way. God gave Abraham promises of a place, a people, and his presence all for the purpose of spreading God's goodness and glory across the face of the planet. And that continues to be the purpose God's people live for even today. Well, that is it for episode 20 of Informed and Inflamed. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time.